Welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, a wrestling history podcast about good conversations and great stories. I'm your host, Brian R. Solomon, and welcome to episode 109, where my guest will be former WWE Publications staff member, Melissa Costabile. Before we get to that very, very interesting and telling conversation... A few important things that I'd like to share with you this week. First of all, I want to make a very important correction from last week's episode. Last week, I had Steve Johnson on the show, and we made mention of one of his books entitled Benoit, Wrestling with the Horror that Destroyed a Family and Crippled a Sport, all about, of course, the Chris Benoit tragedy. And we had discussed the book, and in doing so, I mentioned that the book was written solely by Steve Johnson. I was incorrect in that statement. Actually, the book was a collaboration. There were several other collaborators, chief among them being Greg Oliver, Steve's regular writing partner, as well as Irv Muchnick and Heath McCoy. So I did want to correct that. That was a glaring omission last week, and uh, it is hereby corrected. Now, moving right along, a few other things I wanted to quickly talk about. I am excited to announce that the May issue, the May 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated is now available in digital and print form. It has alternate covers. One of them has Jordan Grace on the cover. It's an absolute knockout of a cover, if you'll pardon the expression. And the other cover is a spotlight on Japanese wrestling. Either one that you pick up, you're going to find two of my columns in there. In my lockup column, I wrote a little retrospective on Sting in honor of his final match at AEW Revolution. And in my column, The Way It Was, I took a look back at the original Brian Pillman, Brian Pillman Sr., the loose cannon, flying Brian, whatever you want to call him. Took a look back at his career in The Way It Was, featured in the May 2024 issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated, now on sale. Get it at pwi-online, as well as other locations like Barnes & Noble, Stop & Shop, Walgreens, a lot of places. If you can actually find a newsstand, a lot of places still do carry PWI on the shelves. In other news, I wanted to congratulate former Shut Up & Wrestle guest Tim Hornbaker, one of the great wrestling authors and historians, for winning the Wrestling Observer Award for Best Book of 2023. Of course, it was his book, The Last Real World Champion, which is a biography of Ric Flair. So congratulations to you, Tim. That is well-deserved, and I highly recommend that book. Of course, Tim was the guest here for episode 88. If you want to hear him talk about The Last Real World Champion and many of his other 
terrific books. Check out episode 88 of Shut Up and Wrestle. And finally, I wanted to give one last plug for Lethal Leap Year, because as you are listening to this, or rather as this episode gets posted, it is still two days away. So in the event that you hear this before it has happened, please do check out Lethal Leap Year, coming to you from Blood, Sweat, and Tears Wrestling, which is an independent wrestling promotion based in Bridgeport, Connecticut. They are having a show on Friday, March 1st at the Devonshire Hall in Hamden, Connecticut. I will be there as a special guest commentator, and I will also be signing and selling copies of Blood and Fire. If you can't make it to the show in Hamden, Connecticut, and you want to check it out, and you want to hear me doing my best Gordon Soley impression, you can check out independentwrestling.tv. The event will be streaming there, independentwrestling.tv, and that's Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Lethal Leap Year, Friday, March 1st. Now that we have gotten all that out of the way, let's get to this week's episode. Now, I can already hear you asking, who is Melissa Costabile? Well, Melissa Costabile was one of the most fun people to work with at WWE in the years that I was there in the publications department. She's got some great stories that she has been waiting years to share because she's never done a podcast before. And as you listen, you may also find that um, you actually recognize her from a few things that she has done for WWE during the Attitude Era. So let's take a listen to that. I'm going to take you to my conversation with Melissa right now. Okay, so it's my pleasure this week on Shut Up and Wrestle to bring to you the latest example, and I know... You guys that listen to this show, you've come to expect this every now and then. The latest example of somebody that I used to work with, not only worked with at WWE, but worked with in the publications department at WWE. Someone who was with me there almost the entire time I was there. I was actually there a little bit before me, and she's got a lot of great stories to tell, and she's never done this before. She was the production coordinator and the production manager for WWE's publications, she was also the executive assistant to our publisher, Barry Werner. I am excited to welcome to Shut Up and Wrestle, Melissa Costabile. Melissa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It is so awesome to be here. It's my <laughs> pleasure. I was telling you before we started, like, you are one of those people, you know, you were always a pleasure to be around and work with at when we were there. I was sad when you left. It wasn't the same after you left. I mean, there are certain people that it wasn't the same after they left. And wow, you're one thanks. of those people. And But also, you have had such unique and interesting experiences working there. And, <laughs> I, and I can't believe you've never, you know, you've never gotten a chance to really talk about it all that much, right? Hey, you're giving me my shot, man. What can I say? <laughs> I, know, I know. So before we get to anything else, I have to say it. I have to get it out of the way because, and we'll talk about, you know, the whole thing of how you came to WWE and all that, but... For people that, um, I'm going to bring it up at the top because, I, like I said to you, I think it's the thing you maybe are the most known for with wrestling fans or fans of the Attitude Era. They may not even realize that they know you, but they do. Because uh, one of the most famous uh, episodes of Monday Night Raw was the one where Stone Cold Steve Austin got to be the chairman, right? They, there was a pay-per-view or something where... Mm -hmm. He won a match, and as a stipulation of the match, he got to take Vince's job. 
and he comes into Titan Tower, okay, and he shows up for work, and he goes to the front desk, the receptionist, and there's this cute little receptionist at the front desk <laughs> who is who is doing her best to do her job while Austin is being Austin, you know, and he's taking over the phone and all that stuff, and that receptionist was you, right? It was, yeah. <laughs> oh god people post about it and tag me in it all the time i was like figures i would be the only person i know that could ever go viral 20 years later like what is that and do you find i think you were telling me that like every now and then somebody that you know or whatever will find it online and just be like oh my god missy is this you like what is this yeah, yeah they do they still do somebody found oh I'm going to take a step away for a second from Austin. Somebody found the video of YouTube short of the F Freddie Blassie Christmas skit. And if you think why, you know, I had no eyebrows. I saw the video for the first time in like 25 years the other day and I wanted to die. I could not believe it. <laughs> Look, it was 1999. You have an excuse. That was the style at the time. That was before like the caterpillar eyebrows came in, you know, that's yeah. when that was the thing, the pencil thin eyebrows. So that's okay. Well, I still keep them. So, but <laughs> it was Fre Freddie Blassie, right? Was Santa. Yeah. Um, You yeah. sent it to me. I mean, you know, it's typical attitude era stuff. It's just like borderline creepy, but you know. Yeah. It, <laughs> um, it was definitely interesting to be in the corporate building and then have someone come up to you and be like hey yeah we need you for we need you for a shot i'm like what yeah i'm like when they're like 20 minutes i'm like what i remember there would be um there definitely were a collection of people that they were they were like the go-to people so let's say they were there were people in the corporate offices who had corporate jobs that were just mm -hmm. you know in a cubicle but if you were if you were kind of a young person if you were reasonably good looking, you didn't you didn't look hideous, you know, they you were likely to get recruited and this is male or female. You were likely yeah. to get recruited for like advertisements they were shooting or like commercials and random things and yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, I remember a couple of other people like that, but you were one of those people where they would just kind of grab you from time to time. Right. When they needed something. Yeah, I was in a bunch of stuff. In fact, I posted about it on my TikTok apparently two years ago today about the Austin thing because I found it on, I found it somewhere, I think someone from HR, Giovanna. Oh, yeah. She messaged me on Instagram and said, you better get on TikTok. People are posting you and Steve Austin. I was like, what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> <laughs> she helped get me hired. She was one of the HR people that uh, I, I think she I was like the she interviewed. I was, I was at reception when she interviewed. She was the person, the first person from WWE who called me. Mm. Uh, I'll never forget when they when I had sent in my resume and all that mm. stuff. And she called and I can't remember if she actually called me directly or left like a, a message on my answering machine. This was 1999. <laughs> but it was she definitely was the first person. And I remember like mm. I lost my mind thinking they actually called me back and I was getting yeah. to go into interview for this job. Yeah. She didn't she didn't stay much longer after i got there though like i remember i got yeah. there in february 2000 and she wasn't there too much longer after that right i don't think yeah i don't know what year she left but i think it was shortly thereafter you're right well um how many interviews did you have 
Oh my God. It was torture. I, I came in really? three, three <clears throat> times. I had to come three times and wow. I didn't, you know, I was living in Brooklyn, New York at the time. So yeah. if it was any other job, I would have been like, screw this, you know, yeah. but it was something I really, really wanted. It was like a dream come true kind of thing. And, and I couldn't believe they actually wanted me to come in. The reason that they called me in multiple times, and I think I may have talked about this, but originally I was interviewing for the copy editor position for creative services. Huh. And it came down to me and one other person, Liz McCollum. And, oh, and Liz. Liz wound up getting the job, uh, copy editor for creative services and publications. So mm. it wound up, but the, the thing is it wound up being so much work, too much work for one person. I know that they she were like to take over public. She wanted to take over my job when I moved. Oh God. Yeah. But they wanted, they were like, okay, we, this, this woman needs help. Let's bring in like the person who came in second. <laughs> and that, and that was me. So that's, that, that's why like my first interview was October 99. Okay. My last interview was right after new year's 2000. And by the end of January, they had offered me the job. And by Valentine's day, I had my first day. Beginning of the Valentine's Day massacre. No, <laughs> yeah, Valentine Valentine's Day two thousand. But I, but wow. I, I want to get back to the Austin thing briefly because, um, what refresh my memory because I will definitely post this video on our Facebook group. But what was it that he had you say right because you were doing the typical like you know like salutation yeah. and he's like no I want you to say this when they call right what was it. Okay, so let me tell you the story. So this is pretty funny. So I was at the reception desk. and I'm gonna go back before we actually start recording. Yes, because it's all ad libbed. You know, um, Vince Russo came to me and said, I need you for a spot we're doing with Austin. And I was like, excuse me. <laughs> like, I, I wanted to like shit myself, you know, <laughs> kidding. totally kidding. Kind of wanted to shit myself though. And he's like, and I was like, when he's like, and I said 20 minutes, but it was like in like an hour. I was like, Oh, well, I'm about to go on lunch. All right. He's like, hurry up and get lunch. And then you're on TV. I was like, well, uh, Oh, okay. Oh my God. So I'm scrambling, looking for makeup and shit. Cause they didn't do my makeup, you know, and I'm about to be on Monday night raw, like a edit. And I get there to my desk the phone used in the video was the phone in the reception area across the room from the switchboard. I had an earpiece with a mouthpiece. Oh, right. 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 And I had 400 lines. I was, that was a busy ass job. I remember. And so Vince asked me to come in and do that. And I was like, all right, cool. Holy crap. Go to the gym, get ready. And I, I remember they had all the guys outside with all of the manure for later on outside. I remember that. What a job. God. And they brought those up and like dumped manure. Anyway, I'm not going to spoil that. But Austin was right on point. Um, he told, he kept laughing and he kept messing it up. And he's like, this girl makes me laugh too much. He's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was like, you can do it. I was like, fucking do it. And I was like, we, it took like three or four tries because he just kept laughing. He <laughs> kept breaking great. character. It wasn't me. And, and the, the, if you listen to the video at the end, the gate is buzzing. So like 
the gate is buzzing and someone's trying to come into the building and talk to me through this thing. And, and it was like an intercom, right? Yeah, yeah. And I hear beep. I'm like, oh shit, I'm recording right now. And I'm like, that was right when he's like, can you handle that, honey? And I was like, hell yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like a good Yankee should. And um, <laughs> then at the end, he just kind of storms off and goes up to the office and you could hear me in the background going, who the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, what it. the hell do you want? You know, and 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 people, when I tell you the next day, this is wild. So they wanted, they had a real receptionist. I was the real receptionist. It wasn't like an operator system. It was a real human down there. Prior to me was Stephanie McMahon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did it. And um, she even told me when she first started, training for the executive offices her first week we graduated college together we started like the same time same week and she said i used to do the reception desk all the time in the summer if you need a bathroom break call me wow yeah so i was like you, i'm not gonna do that to you did you go and, to the same you went to the same college or you just no graduated? she went to be i think she went to boston you went to bu yeah but we both graduated together and started corporate together wow yeah like the same week and she was amazing. And so getting back to the Austin thing, yeah, the next day, I will never forget, I talked to Human Resources. And I'm like, look, I'm going to tell you guys something right now. That phone, it was off the off the rails. I took over 3,000 phone calls that day. It was at the point where I had like 10, maybe 10 lines. Oh, because they were then, trying to get that response out of you? Yeah, so I did oh, it all God. day long. All day, I gave it to people. I was I just That's... gave it to him. And it was like, it was so busy. It would be like, WWF hold, WWF hold, WWF hold. It was like, I put like seven lines on hold. I'd be like, who the hell is this? And literally, that's what I did. I just fell right into gimmick. And I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to have fun with this. And they were like, is this real? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> A lot of them would call and say, say it. And I would be like, who the hell is this? And I hang up on them. That's all they wanted give it to that's wild that they even were and they were able to figure out the number the main switchboard number which i think is the same till to this day it probably is i know it off the top of my head but i'm not going to give it out i know a lot lot of people's phone numbers from that office yeah i mean the main switchboard number i don't think is any big secret but yeah Yeah, Uh, the weird thing is i'll just say this and and no one's going to be able to call him now but correct me if i'm wrong i remember that the main switchboard number or the main direct line for WWE headquarters, you had that number. Vince McMahon's office was literally one digit above that number. Like like right. one, like the last digit, Correct. one digit up. Like it would have Linda's been, was one up above that. You would think that it would have been a little bit harder. Right, yeah. right. Well, no one's calling Linda's at that number now, though. But um I still remember Shane's. <laughs> yep. Oh God! Well, I didn't need Shane's. I mean, he was—he was like ten feet away. He didn't need his number, right? There was nothing quite like Shane going through the office after work when he was getting ready to train for a match, and we were on deadline. We're all there, and I'm like trying to get crap approved at the last minute, and you hear him yelling, going down the hallway, get ready to go lift, because so our office was right near there. Right. So I just want to explain too. I know I've talked about things like this on here before, but for people that may not be too clear on it. So we in the publications department for a period of time, were working directly for Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon was the boss of publications, mm-hmm. even above our publisher, Barry Werner. Barry reported to him. 
Of Shane was the head of digital media. Correct. Yeah, Shane was the head of publishing and digital media. And yep. this was during that era where the where he was really involved, at least in my memory of it. It was yeah. like 2000 he came out with us. Right. But it was like about 2002 to 2006 when mm -hmm. he was really hands on, when he was there and really yeah. running it. And but again, for, yeah. as, we, as we remember, during that time, he was also still wrestling. He would yep. occasionally go out on the road and yep. there would be a lot of crazy, surreal moments. Like, do you remember the time? Were you there for this when oh. they did the angle? God, where Kane attached the bumper, the jumper cables to his balls. Do you remember that? <laughs> I wasn't there, but I remember it. That was All right. So they did that. And then it's like, he just comes into work the next day. Like it's nothing. <laughs> Everybody is just looking at him funny. Like Shane, what the hell, man? And he just had, he would get this look on his face. Do you remember where he knew it was like this, mischie this mischievous look where like he oh, knew yeah. what everybody was thinking. He knew that something ridiculous had just happened on TV, but he yeah. was trying, he was trying to no sell it. You know what I mean? Yeah. He yeah. would do that. I remember when the Katie Vick thing happened. So like um, the Katie Vick angle where Triple H, uh, it was supposed to be the storyline where Kane had um, been in a, as a young person had been in a car with a girl or something and she died. Yeah. Remember that? And they did the whole thing. I, where, I do like, remember that, but I don't remember what year that was. It was like, Oh, two. And they got into some like, oh, yeah. necrophilia with it, where they yes. had like triple H was like in the coffin with her. It was like horrendous. Crazy. But I remember, do you remember how um, there really was this, and I feel more comfortable talking about these things now, but there was this like political back and forth between Shane on one side and Stephanie and Hunter on the other side, right? You you, mm -hmm. you kind of got that. And I was team Shane. <laughs> of course, I was team Shane too. I worked for him, but, but there would be But times. I was also team Steph. I did some projects for Steph privately for like Jack Lanza and stuff. But didn't you find, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, like I hear, I hear that these days she's really wonderful and that becoming a mother has re it was like a life-changing thing for her. That but makes I, I found that she, as she started to get more power and things in the company, that she became a little bit more like kind of prickly and difficult to work with and be around. And whereas Shane mm. was remained kind of down to earth and much more like, just nice to people you know i don't that's know if you had that fair. same experience that's very fair because working with shane um there's nothing quite like a mcmahon calling you first thing in the morning on a saturday saying is press ready like it better and be ready you know um but also he was the kind of guy that when we you remember when wcw got bought yes of course and we all went out together and he came out. I he, didn't get to go on that. So you mean, cool. you mean I played when, darts with him that night. He was awesome. Do you mean like when you went down to the WCW offices? Is that what you're talking no, about? No. I mean, after the deal was done and everything, a group of our employees went out together. Man, I don't remember that. Maybe I wasn't invited. I totally don't remember. You probably this. were, dude. You probably just had um, your first daughter and probably couldn't. Yeah, you're right. Because this would have been around that time uh, spring of 2001 mm -hmm. i know my wife was definitely pregnant at that time so who knows i don't know and also that was before i had moved to connecticut so right. it really was a pain in the ass to have to like i didn't go to a lot of happy hours in, in that time period because it was just too too far away too hard i just wanted to go home i, I can see that you. but i well, mean but i was gonna say 
Huh? No, no, no. Go on, please. So the night that we all with the, the WCW thing happened, and then I guess it all was confirmed. A group of people went out to this rest, this bar, and Shane made it. We couldn't believe he actually showed up. Oh yes, I and remember this. Shots. I heard the stories of it. I didn't Girl, go, I got, but I remember. I got one for you. Yes, I remember people talking about it. How he was buying shots for everybody, right? He was just mm -hmm. going crazy. Yeah, I remember. It was, yeah. I think it was Jack Daniels, and I was not a Jack drinker. <laughs> and at one point, I'd had enough shots that I looked at him. I said, "No, I want Jaeger," and he was like, <laughs> "And Jaeger for her?" Like I was like, "Fine." And then we played darts, and he. This was back when you can smoke. Yeah. In bars still, he hated smoking. I smoked yes. back then. So events. Yeah. I mean, everybody, I mean, yeah. So I, we were playing darts and I was a little bit intoxicated and, um, and uh, he kept blowing out my lighter cause he thought it was funny. Like the annoying brother. And I popped him on the chest. I'm like, would you stop? And that's, <laughs> that was one of my funny memories about Shane. He was really cool to work for, um, for sure. And Stephanie, you know, there were times I never really worked with Stephanie a lot, but towards the end, I did a project for Jack. I think it was Jack Lanza. And I had to put together, he used to write down all of the weather conditions and everything about being on the road, what the card was, what happened in every match. And Stephanie thought it was a good idea to put together these books for him that were gold leafed and all this stuff. And I got them produced and put them together. And that was my last project. I remember her calling me going, I need you to come to my office at the TV studio. And I was like, oh my God, what do you need? Like, I never worked with her. So I was like, what? And she asked me to do this project for her. And, and I was by, like, and by the way, did she, did she remember you from the reception days? I don't know. Probably did not. I mean, probably. I mean, I back then I wanted to work for her. I thought she was awesome. We, <laughs> we lifted together a couple times after work, like spotted each other. Like it was different back then. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. Because, I remember I mean, Vince yelling in the gym when I was trying to lift. He was like terrifying. Roar! You know, he was wild. Wow. Yeah, dude. Well, she, yeah, I mean, like she, she really started from the bottom. That's the thing. Yeah. I mean, like she, she came in really doing, and Shane too, before her. Shane they was, interned. Yes, Shane, they Shane interned was, in yeah. Yeah. And Shane's significantly older than her. He's like six, seven years older than her. Yeah. And so, like, he, even back in the 80s, he would be, like, working in the warehouse, mm -hmm. like, putting the, the, he would tell the story about, like, putting the cards together, like, they would put the leaflet with the matches in the program, yeah. get them yeah. in the boxes, like, all that really, like, menial stuff. They really did mm -hmm. start from the bottom. But I was going to say about the Shane versus Stefan Hunter thing, I remember with the Katie Vick story, so that story was a disaster. Like fans were complaining about it. We were getting hate mail. We were getting phone oh, calls yeah. to the to the office about uh, how awful it was, and mm -hmm. it was it was a really bad look. But apparently, this was around the time that uh, Stephanie and by connection Hunter were like booking TV. They were really involved in creative, mm -hmm. and this apparently had been their thing or idea, I guess, or something. And Shane came in the next day. And I'm telling you, he was beaming. He was beaming because it was something that was making them look bad. He was thrilled that <laughs> that happened. I don't we remember were, that, but this yes, makes me laugh. He came into the room and we, even we were all buzzing about it. Like we were like disgusted. I don't know. It was just, it was one of those it moments. Awful. It was awful. It was one of those moments you felt embarrassed to work there a little bit. Like it there was, was it was really bad. There, yeah. 
And sure. so everyone was talking about it. He came into the common area where all our cubicles were, and he had that look on his face of like, I know what everybody's thinking, but he had this smile on his face and he was just sort of like, hey, so what did everybody think about that last night? Wasn't that great? And I was we there. Were all, I remember that. You remember that? Yeah, he I was do. like, he I was, remember that. He was really oh, digging was into it. When I worked there. And you could tell he was thrilled that they had yeah. come up with this idea that everybody hated so much. But there have um, been some crazy storyline pitches. There were some crazy storyline pitches. Well, do you remember when Stephanie, for a while, Stephanie was asking for feedback from everybody about the shows and yeah, we would get it I together. Do. Like the mm -hmm. department would get like an email together with everybody's thoughts and it would be mm -hmm. sent to her. And it stopped because of it that. was no, well, no, it wasn't because of that, but there was so much negative feedback that was starting to come in just because the TV was kind of lackluster from mm -hmm. all through the departments that she just got sick, I think, of reading the negative feedback. And so she said, stopped... How do you get better if you don't read the negative feedback? Well, she stopped asking for, for that stuff. She stopped asking for feedback. I do remember that. Hmm. Um, but I wanted to ask you about a couple of other things, if you don't mind. A couple of other things that, well, one other thing I have in mind that people may remember, again, without knowing that this was you at all, but um, the entrance music for Los Guerreros, Eddie yeah. Guerrero and Chavo Guerrero. Yeah. You are on that track. <laughs> and if I can put you on the spot, could you possibly do the lines that you did for that? Do you remember them? Uh, lie, cheat, and steal? Yes. But <laughs> I lie, cheat, and steal. Right. And, um, and then I had to say, Viva la raza. And I was like, yeah. And that was at the same time that they were trying to pitch me to um stephanie got me an audition with univision and lillian garcia beat me out wow. i made it i was the only non-latina that made it to univision's finals fact wow you what didn't was know it? that no i yeah, didn't man. know that at all yeah what, that was what, a big deal what was it for like an on-air personality or something it was for or? super astros Oh, the I was right, supposed the... to be. Yeah, I was I was going to be the female interviewer for Super Astros and wow. I did not make it probably because of lack of authenticity. Well, yeah, I mean, look, they probably wanted somebody who was Latina to do that. They didn't want to get sure. people to but find she it. Gave me, yeah, she right. gave me enough to I mean, I don't think they thought I'd make it that far. Wow. I didn't know that. Bilingual, baby. <laughs> But the yeah, the I remember you telling me about the Guerreros thing. Like I remember yes. you coming in and being like, you know, can you believe what they made me do? And then it was on TV and I'm like, oh yeah. my God, that's your voice. That's totally that your was voice. Gonna, that's, yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy because I didn't think they'd use it. Right. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, people definitely remember. I mean, there's people, you know how fans are, like, who are obsessed with entrance themes. Like they could tell yeah. you who had what entrance theme, and like when it changed, what year, yeah. right? And so people know that Los Guerreros, like Viva la Raza, I lie, I cheat, I steal. Like everybody I'll never knows forget that. that. And it's you. So and I'll fun. be Yeah, that was me. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> I'll well, be playing that. I'll put that up on on the Facebook group too. I gotta please do, that. do. I was on Get the F Out's campaign. Which one was that? I mean, I remember the, the campaign, one at the but... the the scene at the bar. What? Who was it? Was it Johnny Knoxville that was in that? Oh, I don't remember. Somebody had the WWE head. Yes, right. And I was at the I was a bar patron drinking. 
which oh, I yes. probably was drinking anyway because <laughs> we were at a bar. <laughs> yeah, there were. I had a couple of moments like that where we would be shooting stuff at a bar. Coincidentally, and they were like, "Just have one," and I'm like, "Oh." We did um, when I was I in Cleveland once. We were doing a photo shoot for the magazine where it was when Mister Perfect had come back in mm-hmm. like 2002 or so or three. And we were supposed to do a thing at the bar where he was making me look bad at all these bar games. He was beating me at chat uh, uh, at um, I'm sorry, at darts. He was beating mm-hmm. me at the video games. He was beating me at pool, whatever it was. Yeah. And so we were we were at this real bar in Cleveland called the Boneyard it was across the street from at the time from Jacobs Field. And the big boss man, Ray Trailer, who was also back, mm-hmm. he decided to, like, tag along for this photo shoot because he was. Him and Kurt, him and Mr. Perfect, they were really close. But yeah. also, he knew there were going to be free drinks at this bar. Or even if right. not free, they were going to be on the company tab. Right. So he's right. just, like, throwing back <laughs> like these, like, vodka tonics. Just sitting oh, to be in our 20s again. While we're doing this, right. And I remember, like, one of those crazy, surreal WWE experiences is driving around. And Johnny Photo knows this. And I think I mentioned it when I had him on here, our photographer at the time. Mm-hmm. Driving around in the mental, in the met, I was going to say in the mental car, in the the rental car, but it was a mental car. Driving around Cleveland with Mr. Perfect and Big Boss Man, and they're just in the back seat. They're giggling like kids, just talking shit about people. They were telling me what a what a what a jerk the Ultimate Warrior was. Just random. candid things like that (laughs) unasked for shoots (laughs) and those are the moments where yeah you just have to like pinch yourself and realize this is not your ordinary normal job you know no i i went in a limo for the triple h magazine when we did the triple h magazine i think it was me and tracy and we took a limo and they gave us mojitos (laughs) that was a fun that was a fun episode i call it an episode because they're all episodes um what else yeah, there would be random things like that that would happen. Just they would send you on these strange things. I remember Barry one time sent me to Belmont Racetrack. Okay, remember how like plugged in Barry was to horse racing, right? Yeah, Cause, yeah. Because Barry had been the sports editor for the New York Daily News before he became yes. our publisher. And he was big into horse racing. And he worked out a deal with Belmont where <laughs> it was supposed to be a publicity for WWE, where they would have one horse in the race that was sponsored by smackdown and one horse that was sponsored by raw yeah this was around the time of the brand extension and the weird thing was this wasn't on tv or anything it was only if you were there at belmont would you know about this but i don't know how they pulled this off but they actually got um randy orton and batista to go to this thing where they because like i uh, they were on I think I'm thinking of the right people. Yeah, they were on separate shows or something. And so Randy was with one horse. He wasn't riding it, but he was like yeah. representing one. And <clears throat> Batista was representing the other. And I had to go down in a limo with Randy Orton and his girlfriend and Batista, <laughs> who I just have to tell you, we're not thrilled about having to do this. It was just a weird, weird thing to have to go bizarre. to Belmont racetrack and sit with like these miscreants at the racetrack and be like, yeah, this is my horse. And then they took pictures of them with like the, the horses. horses after the race. I used I to have it framed, but yeah, these weird assignments you'd get right where you just have to roll with it. You know, there was a lot of that. Yeah. One time I had to go get a sandwich 
I had to go get sandwiches for Triple H in China. They were lifting and they called the front desk and said, we need somebody to go get our sandwiches. <laughs> so I had to go down to go down, drive to the deli and go get sandwiches. Rinaldi's? I don't know. Probably. I give free publicity right up the road. to Rinaldi's. It was right up the road. They tipped me 20 bucks for doing it. <laughs> Rinaldi's, I remember, was the deli it's, near the office where everybody used to get their like Italian sandwiches from. It probably so. was because it was right up the right. Yeah, it's that one on the corner. The next block over. I remember 20 years. So. Yeah, it was on a it was in a little strip mall on the yeah. main drag on East Main Street. It was like a block down or two mm -hmm. blocks. Mm -hmm. And yes, I also yes, remember yes, yes. Kevin Kelly, who at the time had <clears throat> Kevin Kelly had established with Rinaldi's a WWE employee discount. It was basically him. At least my understanding was that he had set this up, that if you went in there and said, I work for WWE, they give you half off the sandwich. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know if it's still in effect. I mean, I never got that discount, but I did get it, it tipped by Triple H in China, so that was nice. That is I didn't nice. That. So I also want to ask because you, when we were doing like pre-talks about this, you mentioned something which I never knew about, and in light of the stuff that we've been hearing lately, these horrible things about Vince <laughs> McMahon and the culture oh, yeah. there, and the way that women—it was just like the culture of the office. Mm -hmm. Um, for women to sometimes be preyed on or harassed, whether on the road or in the office, yeah, and and particularly by by Vince himself. And I remember telling you, and it's easy for me to say because I'm a guy, but I remember telling you that at the time that I worked there, you would hear things about Vince for sure, and we all knew that he mm -hmm. was, you know, a womanizer and all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I never remember um, hearing a lot of details and things. Like I remember, mm -hmm. I would only hear about stuff when it would come out publicly like mm -hmm. you weren't there when he got in trouble with the woman at the tanning salon i think it was like 2006 where oh. he he apparently was accused of assaulting a t tanning salon worker and like showing her about that. yeah showing her all these pictures on his phone and all this creepy stuff but i found out about that because it made the news you know it wasn't like yeah. I, I never really got too much wind of it and then you were telling me the the story about him wanting to like you ride on his motorcycle, right? What was that like? Well, it was it was a random conversation. So I'm um, being at the receptionist desk. It was a massive cave of a marble room that was really great, like granite, marble, whatever. And it didn't really look inside like it fit like our corporate culture. Um, but going back, I started as a temp and they hired me on the spot that day, which was crazy to me. Um, it was June of 1998, so no cell phones really. I had one, but it was all like digital. And so I saw, I saw the McMahon family as they came in because I was already at the front desk. So I would have conversations with some of with all of the McMahons over that year and a half before I joined publishing. I saw them come in to go to the gym. They weren't dressed for work. You know, I got to see them as humans, which was really. Really cool. And we weren't public yet either. So I would see like Vince come in one day. We had, he had this motorcycle that they did a local photo shoot for. I don't know if it was a Fairfield County thing or what, but he had a, that boss hoss that he then, I guess, wrecked. I don't know if it was after I left or what, but that bike was beautiful. It was a monstrosity and they had to take the 
sides off the leg things, you know, so that they could bring it inside from the chute because it needed to come inside um, before they could, I guess, get it on a trailer and get it back to the house or who knows what. But they brought it into the lobby for some reason. It just sat there for a day or so. And one night as I was packing up and getting ready to leave, I was going to go up, go up to the gym. Um, I saw him um, and he asked me, he said, what do you think of my bike? And I looked at him and I was like, it's really nice. It's really awesome. He's like, you want to get on my bike? And I was like, no. <laughs> like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, that's what went through my head. I was like, fuck. And, um, <clears throat> and I said, no. And he's like, well, why? And I said, because it ain't mine to break. That's not my, that's not my bike. And he did convince me. Um, I, he said it'd be safe. And I said, all right. So I sat on the bike and I was like, all right, cool. I'm all done now. I'm going to go to the gym. And I like skedaddled off the fucking bike. And I was like, I can't do this. This is no, um, another time <clears throat> he did give me a, a sweatshirt and I still have it from Dory Funk. Oh, wow. I've got a, like a double XL Funkatorium sweatshirt. Yeah, that was his, that was the time when he from Vince he gave it to me. He had the dojo at the time yeah. where he was training. This is before yeah. NXT, before even yep. OVW and developmental. Yeah. Like he would be training at he, tracks. He, I feel like he was training like what the Hardys, Kurt Angle, like that was going. Yeah, on. Edge, Val Venus Correct. was involved with that. Uh, yep. Yeah, definitely Kurt Angle. Yeah, and he I was working with all those sweatshirt. guys. I have that sweatshirt still. Wow, the Funkin' Dojo. Yeah, the Funkin' Dojo, right? Now, yeah, and that. the thing, I remember when you told me even the thing about the motorcycle and stuff, it's one of those things where it seems harmless. It seems like a harmless thing, but yeah, knowing what we know now and knowing the way it seems like he really yeah. was like on the hunt, like as a, I, you know, you know thing, what I mean? Like that's, that's a, how that's things well said. Yeah. I'm not saying that he was into that, but I'm not saying he wouldn't have taken advantage if I didn't, you know, like choose your own adventure. Mm -hmm. Like yes. if I, I chose this path and if I went this way, I don't know what could have happened, but like, there was an, like another conversation. Do you remember when I had that neck brace on? Yes. Remember? Yeah. So you remember? Okay. So I had a neck, <laughs> I'll tell this quickly. I had a neck brace on because I got in a car accident on the way home from a show. I was there attending the show. I was not working the show. It was um, on Long Island and I was driving home and I got in an accident and I came into work the next day and I had a soft collar on and he thought that they tried to job make me a jobber. Oh my God. They're like, are they trying to put you in the ring? Do you want to go in? Like, I was like, no, <laughs> but that was a weird conversation. Um, yeah, I was, I don't know. It makes me, it, I was very uneasy reading that deposition I read it twice that day mm. because I got to thinking about everything. And I was like, damn, I was 22 years old when I started there. I left not because I wanted to leave world wrestling. I didn't want to leave the company, but a lot of it was, there was some toxic shit that happened in our department and stuff too. Yes. I know. I was, I was the, I was the only girl in the group besides Laura. I mean, Elizabeth, but like she never talked to anybody. And I was one of the boys. And and I got ribbed 
I got ribbed a bunch, which is why I would show up hungover with SpaghettiOs in the meetings and <laughs> I'd get buried back by being disrespectful because he was disrespectful to me. As I always would say, I mean, that place was a human resources nightmare. I mean, oh, there, yeah. there's no nice way to say it. The things and I'm not I'm not blameless. I'm not an angel. <laughs> The things that Brian, would... you were always respectful. Forgive me for interrupting. No, it's fine. You did your job and you did it well. You Thank never you. came in a, a female in disrespectful intentions. No, I'm sorry, no. but did but, I misinterpret that? No, I. but I think what would happen there is the things and we were all having a good time, whatever. Mm -hmm. Fine. And sometimes I think like sometimes human resources and companies can go too far and they could take all the fun out of the job. and all, But the things that would go on and the things that we would say just freely out in the open, I think about it now and I can't believe it. Just it destroyed me for uh, the things the things we'd say, the things we do, the way we would rib each other. Um I remember even like we, we would do these very it was almost like being in a frat house. You do Oh god, yeah, it was. I like oh, yeah. dare, like people would dare each other to do things and it would stop the whole workflow, like just crazy shit happening. And you would get to the point where you'd get so comfortable mm -hmm. saying these heinous things that just because oh, you, yeah. you can get away with it, that you'd never dare say in an office that then you'd be out in the normal world with normal people and you would forget your filter and you would say something heinous. And they would look I at you like. I am a restaurant manager, man. Right, but they, but, but see, but that world is also like that too. My wife Jamie, right. she worked for years in hospitality and food services, and in yeah. those kitchens and things. The things that people would say and the things that would go on, too, right? Sure. Yeah, but you forget yourself. That's what I mean. Like I'm not saying I was like. Sometimes, if you weren't careful, you could get pulled into that and say that and do things was bad yeah right say and do things that you wouldn't be proud of and and no i mean like i was i mean yes compared to a lot of other people there yes i was an angel and a saint but yeah but you know i wasn't immune i was on the road or in the office i wasn't immune to it um but yeah it like you said it spoils you for any other job because yeah the other side of it is yeah it also is a lot of fun yeah and i had i had the most fun Oh my god! Of any job I've ever had in my life, working in that place, no question. It about was it. the best. Like it really was. It, it. I, you know, I've looked back and considered going back. I can't tell you how many times. Because if I could do it now, it'd be a whole different animal. Right. Like in my case, it really turned sour towards the end, where things got really dicey. Like after Barry was gone, um, yeah. you know, Barry and Shane had their falling out, and Barry. Uh, I didn't even know about that. I was already, what, in Florida or was I in Asheville by then? Well, you know that, like, Barry had a little, Barry and Shane, like, they would clash. You know, yeah, Barry reported did. to Shane and yeah. they would clash because Shane was a publishing guy. I'm sorry, yep. Barry was a publishing guy and Shane was yep. not. So Barry. But I worked for both of them, so that was tough. Barry wanted to get that magazine done and out the door. And Shane was, you know, very often micromanaging or just really pushing on Barry's case, deadlines. right? Pushing the deadlines, yeah. making us actually blow money because it would cost a lot of money. Right? Tens of thousands Tens of dollars. Of thousands and of that's dollars. why he would call me freaking out. Like, when is this going to be approved? I'm like, now it's already approved. And, and Barry's freaking out <laughs> because he wants to keep the department profitable because I will mm -hmm. say, and you probably, you know, I'm sure you know this, even during the downest periods of the company where departments were losing money, um, our department always made money because Barry yeah. was so smart and frugal about it. 
But it seemed like and and because again, the last thing Barry wanted to do is have to fire people. He re- he protected our department when we had that awful time when um when the XFL failed and the restaurant failed and they had to fire like forty people in a day. Do you remember that, that? was rough? Yeah, I cried so hard that day because I lost. We lost our photo assistant, who was kind of like my assistant, mm-hmm. Jamie. Yep. And we lost, and I lost my absolute direct report at the time, which was Brad. Brad. Brad Sagendorf, who was our associate <clears throat> I lost publisher. Both within an hour. And I was like, oh crap. But see, I have all this work to do now. And no offense to Brad, but that was a decision that Barry also made <sighs> to know. try to save us because Brad made a lot of money. Brad was a second lot of only. Money. Right. Brad was second only to Barry in salary in that department. And so yeah. what they did, what they do in cases like that is they they don't tell you who to fire or how many people to fire. They, they put give a number figure. Yes. They give you a number and they say your they department figure. needs to cut off this amount of money. Do whatever you have to do to they save do that money. And so Barry yeah. said, well, I could fire half the department or I could get rid of this one guy. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know, the, the photo assistant, too, which was unfortunate. But I can get rid of this one big cat who makes all this money and save everybody's job. And I well, never yeah. forgot that he did that. That was Bro, uh, that was so upsetting because what it did to me was it put me it put me in a position where I had to all of a sudden pick up some of my boss's accountabilities. Which was paper negotiation, all that stuff, you know and making sure everything went on time and helping edit you know photo which is how i met brock lesnar was in photo how'd that happen he came in after hours i guess he must have somehow he must have had a meeting god knows because he couldn't get into the building after a certain hour we all had key cards everything was locked up so he was in there somewhere maybe he was meeting with talent relations or i'm just speculating all i know is i heard a soft male voice he had a soft voice at least back then and i remember i saw his cauliflower ear so i was like that was crazy i just remember it and uh he asked me where the photo department was because there were some pictures and i was like let me try to reach out i think i tried to call the photo director at that time um noelle noelle yeah and she told me where they were because everybody was gone so i showed him where they were and i said you're welcome to look and just don't mess with anything and he thanked me and that was it. But he had such a soft voice. It was kind of trippy to be so freaking huge and so intimidating looking. You're like, excuse me, ma'am. Like, I was like, huh, weird. Well, he was a farm boy. He was huh? a farm boy, you know? He was he was, he was was right off the farm, that guy. So, I mean. Yeah, uh, and, and that shows true in, in what happened with most recently. Yeah, that yeah. was also unfortunate. There it too. is. <laughs> but again, but that's what. I would see a lot. That's what the business would do to people. Sometimes you would get people that would come in and they would be squeaky clean and wholesome and the business would change them. I know. Um, Part of why I left. Kurt Angle was somebody like that. This guy was as white bread, squeaky clean as you could be. Olympic gold medalist. I don't think he he had touched a beer or a cigarette in his life. Correct. And, yes. And the, the business almost destroyed his life. He'll be the first one to tell you that. It's no secret. I'm so happy he he got he got clean. Yeah. What a, freaking, a, lot. a lot of us got clean after we left there. Let's be honest. <laughs> I got clean after we left there. I didn't realize I had a drinking problem. Well, my kids saved me because I couldn't make it to the happy hours because yeah. I, was, I yeah. was like the I was like the youngest father in our whole circle. You know, no one else had families and kids yet. 
Uh, nope. and, and I was like the first yeah. one. My kids were born like in my early years of working there. I left but, shortly after Layla was born. Yeah, my daughter I Layla. Layla shortly before I quit. It was long. I mean, my daughter Layla. Oh, no, was she born. was older than that. You yeah. might be thinking of my son, Jack. So my it daughter Layla, son. yeah, she was born in November 2001. My son, Jack, was born in July 2004. That seems like the more likely one, probably. No, I held Layla. Then it was, I held Layla. I, I didn't quit shortly after. She was just a bigger kid, maybe. Maybe she was like a couple I, of years old. I left um, very end of October 2003. And I moved to okay. Florida. And I, I actually asked them. Now, I am proud to say that I am one of the first people that I certainly know of that asked if I could work remote. I said, there's no reason that you need to pay me as much as you do. There's no reason I can't receive a laptop and do the publishing, the, the pre-press aspect and paper negotiation stuff. And I could cost you half the money because I could do it part-time. They said, we don't do that. Nobody works remote. This I think is 2003. So right. I was thinking of a concept that became the most cool thing since sliced bread 20 years ago. But as I, the way I remember it, even Barry was not for that idea, right? I think even he was nobody not was that forward thinking. I was. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like that's how it's all done now. You know, I, a lot of people right. work that way remotely. Even in that company, there's people that are never in the building. You know, less yeah. than it was during the pandemic, but still. But the story of of Brock, it it reminded me of a few things because. That's another weird thing that would happen from time to time. Not all the time because the talent typically would be on the road. They mm -hmm. weren't in Stanford. They would be on the road or they would be home, you know, mm -hmm. but once in a while, not once in a while, but I mean, regularly here and there, yeah. they would have to be at the office for whatever reason, meetings, yeah. corporate, yeah. and you would run into these people. Oh, like, oh my God. I and saw it, them all, dude. Right. I remember. I remember. Everybody. There's two that really well. There's a few, but there's two that stick out. I remember Trish Stratus oh when she's when, so beautiful. Yes, she's my size. Like I was eye to eye with that girl. But oh. Trish Stratus, when they were first signing her, it mm -hmm. was right around the time I started, and I had been following this even before I worked there because I was a fan. Because yeah. Trish Trish was a known fitness model. She was like yes. already a known commodity. I and I was and I was reading online on the websites like, hey, Trish Stratus is they're trying to sign her. And and I and I remember I'm I just started working there and I'm still going to all these like dirt sheet websites, of course. And one of them says Trish Stratus is coming to Titan Tower today, supposedly, to sign her official contract. And me, I go, Wow, I'm here in this building that where they say she's gonna be. I am going to I'm going to come up with an excuse why I need to be uh, down, you know, wh where she's going to be, uh, because I had heard she was going to be looking at photo, the photo department and things. So I'm like, I'm going to just find a reason to have to be down in photo. Yeah. And I went down there and sure enough, there she was. I feel and, like I met her that day, too. And I remember she asked me where the bathrooms were. I never mm -hmm. forgot. And I recently it was funny, like a few years ago. Because, I mean, we would talk in later years. I, I interviewed her a bunch of times and we got to know each other just from magazine stuff. But when she was on Twitter at one point and she I made a joke about it, like I bet, you know, Trish doesn't remember the day that, you know, she came in to sign a contract and she couldn't <laughs> find the bathrooms. And, you know, I don't know if it's true or not, but she remembered. She actually answered the tweet and she was, oh, I remember that day. Dude, that's I, so cool. I was so nervous. I was so scared being there and blah, blah, blah. And think about that. 
we look at we looked at superstars we were told do not fraternize with talent right. Right. do not talk to talent do not engage with talent do not um do not engage with executives like that was I was told not to talk to anybody and it wasn't always easy to do because the well, other I side had been coming that. into the re- reception right the I other mean, I side met, uh who did I meet Sean Michaels Mark Muir and Sable Kurt Angle and his ex-wife Karen at the time was his wife yeah yeah um I met Mark Henry in the elevator uh I met Hell, even Vince, the day I left, he knew it was my last day. And he said I could come back anytime I wanted uh, in the elevator in front of my sister. Wow. Really? Wild. I'm going to take back my awe, though, thinking about what a creepy. SM yeah. Was, like you can come still... back anytime. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, no, that's not no, something to awe. To Thanks, bye. Oh, <laughs> right. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm moving to Florida. Um, who else did I meet? Oh, um, I was running next to Jacqueline at one point, like jogging, like running next to her. We were like competing in the gym. Yeah. Um, I was doing shoulders next to Steve Austin. (laughs) Uh, Stephanie and I used to spot each other on occasion. Uh, Freddie Blassie. I talked to him for hours. God, I love that guy. That I'm jealous of. He had so much because you didn't you do the book with him? No, Keith did the book. Keith Greenberg did the book with Black. And when I think he was just giving me, like, I don't know why he would call me and like talk about so much stuff. I don't even remember all of it. Like, I honestly don't. But he called me all the time about magazines. So right. getting them shipped to places. And he would just tell me stories. And his his wife would get on the phone too. And it was really funny. The two Miyako. of them. Yeah. Yeah. Stacy Keebler. Um, I met Sable. She did not like me <laughs> at all. I was like, I didn't do anything to you. I don't know you. Hi. You know, I'm just yeah. a front desk minding my beeswax. That tracks. Yeah. And I look back now and I was like, wow, she just didn't like any of us. That's cool. Yeah. Um, who was it that I met Mankind? I met him in the photo department early on. He had come down when he was doing... Um, his not not his first book but his follow-up book Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he was looking for photos to use in the photo department that was the first time i met him i met him a few times obviously but that was the first time but the and the thing about the fraternizing was what i was going to say is the flip side of that is they would always tell you don't fraternize with talent but Mm -hmm. but if they ask you right if they ask you you're you're supposed to say yes because otherwise they're going to be insulted if that's so, the case, I would have had to go out with Mark Henry. Oh, see, because he asked I, me out. I would. Oh, you weren't there. There were others too. I'm not going to mention people's names, private privacy. But there were I other. There were other girls in corporate who he asked out too. But yeah. uh, that I remember actually. There was one time, and I won't mention again because this is a private citizen. There was somebody in the office, uh, a woman who worked in a, one of our related departments, who you know, young, attractive, mm-hmm. and she had to go on the road for business. And they sent me to travel with her. And I remember like at the time I was young and naive and I'm thinking like, I don't really need to, why am I on this trip? I don't need to be here. And I remember Barry being like, you know what, while you're there, you can work and get this interview and get that interview and get Mm -hmm. this interview. And we need you to do this. But 
it wasn't a trip I needed to go on. And it wow. was the whole TV run. And honestly, it wasn't even until later that I really started to realize like, oh my God, that's why they sent me on that thing was they wanted her to not be alone um, because of being on the <laughs> road with the boys and things. Um, yeah. I, at the time, I just, I was clueless, but that was the reason for sure. Um, I was, I mean. Yeah. No, that's crazy. I have yeah. no idea about that. But I think now thinking about it as well, that's why they never let me go on the road. Yeah. I mean, that was a thing where. Because was, I was like in and out of TV. I was on and off, you know, doing voiceovers. I was. Uh, I don't know. I remember one. This is a they crazy story. They never let me on the road. They promised me always and never let me go. But well, they put that, me on TV a bunch. But they were trying to protect you because I remember there was. I this, know, and I didn't know that there was this unwritten thing of like, if we have, you know, women that are young and pretty, and they're going on the road, they have to be chaperoned, like almost like children. It was like this thing where you would have these, you would have to travel with them. It was crazy, but uh, there well, were look at what there happened were since. I mean, did they stop doing that? Because look at what happened to uh, Ashley. Right. I'm yeah, sorry. I don't mean to jump it like jump in like that, but right. And she, where and was, she it, was where was her chaperone? And she was talent, right? And, and yes, still, she wasn't even uh, an office person. Yeah, and that was horrendous. No, but that's the point. Like that's that happened. The Ashley Mazzaro incident that she reported in that affidavit that was 2007, and it was supposed to be on a military base. And right. I was working for the company at the time and I had no idea that that right. happened. There was a that lot was of shit that happened. I had no me. idea. Yeah, no idea. Um, but I was going to say the one, another wild one for me that, especially looking back on it now, just bizarre. Mm -hmm. The Christmas um, parties. <laughs> the Christmas party. Oh my God. Yeah. Melissa, wow! we're, we're going to have to do Yo, like a part two. If you want, I wish we talked about this at the beginning because they know. were amazing. The Christmas parties were wild. It was like you were picture because companies that you work for i don't care who you are listening to this like six inches long they were not like going to a wwe christmas party that was like going to a wedding yes it was they like were going oh so extravagant it wasn't just a bunch of people hanging out at a bar they had a live band yeah they had they had santa claus it was blassie or someone else it was blassie. Come. they had a room for the kids to go yep. see santa claus they mm -hmm. had this amazing food amazing spread. spread. They had a dance floor. All the booze you wanted, dance floor. You had a sign pictures seating. with all the talent. I yeah, got they so many pictures with talent that day. They would be there at a few of them. I have stories about that. That'll be for another day, but of being well, at we those can parties. do a re another one. It's fine. But I was gonna say at one time I remember um when Chris Benoit mm -hmm. was injured. You know, mm -hmm. he went through a lot of periods where I think there was the 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 most well-known period where when he had his he missed WrestleMania. Yeah. I forget which one it was. I think it might have been like 19 or 18. He missed a WrestleMania because he had this severe injury. It might have been his neck or something. Yes. And yes. Well, and yes. there was there was one day. It was so weird. It was this quiet day at the office for whatever reason. A lot of people weren't there. I don't know if they were on the road or if there was bad weather. Mm -hmm. It was like a skeleton crew. Mm -hmm. He came into the office and mm -hmm. whatever he was, he was recovering from his injury. So he had been off TV for months. He what came. Do you know? Um, maybe. Oh, it was before we moved to this, to the first floor. So it was like, oh, maybe, okay. It was on the second floor. Right. So it was like, oh, one, I guess that would have been maybe. And he or oh, two. I, I don't remember know. that. 
he wandered in. He was, I'm not even sure why he was there. He was, you know, he had some business to attend to. Mm -hmm. He wandered by our department and he came by the office that it used to be Vince Russo's office. And then it was Laura's office. And then it became. You just remind me of all of this. Like, yeah, I'm remembering now. It became Mike Fazioli's office, who was our managing director. And I remember now, I think Mike was one of the people who wasn't there that day. And the office, it was a nice office. It was like dimly lit. It had a couch in it with a yep. television, a nice was comfy it, was the couch. Was room green? Was that the room where we all watched no, the wall? No, that was my office, actually. Oh, we September on that tiny TV. Yes. But Jeez. no, the 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 Faz office was uh, painted gray. Across the way. Yes. Vince, was, Vince yeah. Russo had wanted it that way. He wanted yeah. it dark. So anyway, uh, Benoit just kind of wa- wanders by. And he sees this room with a comfy couch in it and a TV. And he's just like, do you guys have um, any like tapes of wrestling, you know, here like of of wrestling shows? No. I, I swear to God. And we're like, um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, we have like old Raws or pay-per-views and things that we watch. This was in the VHS tape days. And we yes, have them. I have. I have to show you mine. Go ahead. But we were like, yeah, we have them stacked in the in, in by the TV. There's like a ton of random things. Yes. And he said something like, you know, God, I miss wrestling so much. And, you know, I just want to like watch some wrestling while I'm here. I'm just like, if I could just like hang out and sit on the couch and watch like some wrestling tapes, I swear to God. And we said, "Uh, yeah, sure. You know, and we set him up and he's sitting there. He sat on the comfy couch and he's watching like random (laughs) wrestling tapes and he fell asleep. He fell asleep on this couch watching (laughs) wrestling in the middle of our department and With half the crew there, and we're just yeah. going like, you know, what I mean is like half of our coworkers not even there, and we're right. going like, what do we do? Like, do we wake them up? Should we? Should we just go back to work? And we did. We went back to work, and right across the hall, Chris Benoit <laughs> is taking a nap on a couch with wrestling playing in, in the managing editor's office. And yeah. I mean, and and then you know, and again, another one of those things where you look back on it now, and you're like, oh my god. Just the, the, your view of it changes, but these strange, surreal anecdotes that come with working at WWE—it's like the stories never run out. No, I, I've been—I've been doing interviews for years, and I think this is the first time I've ever even told the Benoit on the couch. I story. forgot about it. Yes, you remember, I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, I—I I never called out of work. I think I called out on my birthday once. So you might have been there that day then, I guess. Yeah, not. yeah. I never called. I never call out of anyone. I have something fun to show you that the mailroom guy got me. Howie? No, Matt. Oh, okay. Hold on. Oh. Pulls out chair. Oh, it's a WrestleMania 2000 chair. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah, they had those just laying around the mailroom. That's right. They did, and I got one. They had like random pay-per-view chairs. They would just use them to sit on and work on in the mailroom. And it was no longer needed, and they just gave it to me. I was like, all right, cool. I have that. I got a bunch of cool stuff like that. Um, Well, Melissa, I have to say, of all, I mean, this has been one of the fastest episodes I've ever done. I can't believe... That we've been talking for over an hour. I mean, I mean, I mean, like, I just don't know what to say. 
There's so many. We didn't even scratch the surface. Oh, I just, yeah. Now that we're going, I'm like, damn, we could do another one. We we have to. I say that all the we're time. We have people, to have a part two. People think it's a running joke, but I mean it. We we will. We're going to do a follow up. And I have been starting to have some guests back. Like, we need to get into the Christmas parties. We need to get into more of the day to day publication stuff and just random people that you would meet in yeah. the lobby. Um, yeah. I tell people I work with, like at the restaurant, I've been at a, I've been at a restaurant for 19 years since moving to Asheville. And I tell these kids, they're like in their, you know, teens and twenties, right? They do not believe until they see the video. They're like, oh my God, that is you. You just had short hair. Yeah. Cause I had a pixie back then and they could not believe they're like, oh my gosh, my dad watched that. I'm like, oh my God, shoot me. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, I had somebody on Twitter. But they still think that I work there. Somebody on Twitter said to me the other day um, that they have been a fan of mine their entire life. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Now, I did like a double and triple take when I saw that. And I'm like, what is this person talking about their entire life? How is that possible? And then I thought to myself, oh, okay. When I first started writing on WWE magazine, that was 23 years ago. So right. I guess it could be their entire life. Yeah. My God, you know? Well, June of this year, right? 1999. Yeah. June of 1999 will be the 25th anniversary of me and Steve Austin's um, opening segment when he became CEO. 25 years. Wow. I was 23. Well, it's almost perfect timing to be doing this interview then this conversation. Yeah, I yeah. will be I will be posting the video of that on the Facebook group, which I think you're a member of, Shut Up and Wrestle yeah. with oh, Brian yeah. R. Solomon, and you've been a member of it. So you're going to yeah. get some extra attention now. You're going to get people going like, oh, my God, I remember this and all that stuff. Well, that's uh, greatly appreciated because I loved it. And I, now that we've done this, the cat's out of the bag. Yes. And, and I'm. <laughs> this this I'm 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 sure you would agree this went well. I know you weren't yeah. sure. This was your first time doing this, and and I'm really really. Hey, grateful. you gave me that. You, everybody's got to have their first. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we got we got it out of the way now, and we will be doing this again. Absolutely, yes. sooner rather than later. Okay. Yeah, we'll give them what they want. There you have it, folks, my conversation with Melissa Costabile. Missy, thank you so much for coming on the Shut Up and Wrestle podcast and sharing some of those great memories. As you can tell from listening to this week's show, I do get a kick out of going back in memory lane and reminiscing about those Titan Tower days. I do want to address one thing and make a little correction from listening back on the conversation. You may have noticed at one point we talked about how Melissa recorded or contributed to the entrance theme music for Los Guerreros. I want to correct that. I was slightly misremembering. It was not the actual entrance music for Los Guerreros that she contributed to vocally. It was the Los Guerreros vignettes that used to run on SmackDown. So if you remember those vignettes where Chavo and Eddie would be you know, stealing milk from a baby or do, you know, doing other kinds of nefarious things and lying, cheating and stealing. It was Melissa whose voice could be heard on those vignettes from the early 2000s. Just wanted to clear that up. 
also want to clear up who next week's guest is going to be on Shut Up and Wrestle. For episode 110, I will have Colin Hunter as my guest, otherwise known as the man behind Kayfabe News and a longtime wrestling fan and aficionado. You're going to get a big kick out of this one. It's coming next week for episode 110. Other big guests on the way for Shut Up and Wrestle, Mike Rogers, the historian of Portland wrestling in the Pacific Northwest. That's going to be a great one. Chris P. Lettuce, the man who is responsible for providing a lot of my listeners, I'm sure, with great historical wrestling content to watch. He is a mysterious gentleman, and he agreed to be a guest on Shut Up and Wrestle. So that's going to be a good one. We've also got Dominic D'Angelo, the podcaster and wrestling journalist, on the way, as well as my friends, Whip and Mr. Joe Turner from the Whip Show Wrestling Podcast, and many, many other things I'm working on. Keep listening to Shut Up and Wrestle. You can find us at our website, suawpod.com. You can also find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts for the time being, Podcast Addict, Podbean, and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're at it, if you haven't already, go and join the Facebook group, Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian R. Solomon. And I also want to make mention, I am very, very grateful to the people who have been making their contributions to the show. As I've said, it's a free podcast. But there are ways that you can contribute money if you feel like it's worth it. There's no pressure at all. And I'm humbled and thankful to the people who have done so thus far. If you'd like to, on my Twitter page, Brian R. Solomon, you'll find a link at the top to contribute via Cash App or Venmo. And if you'd like to contribute via PayPal, you can find me at Solomon at yahoo.com. I humbly thank you in advance. Some of the other things I work on, the wrestling news from Arcadian Vanguard. Find it every day, every morning, at thewrestlingnews.com and also on the Arcadian Vanguard YouTube page. My books, Blood and Fire, the unbelievable real-life story of wrestling's original chic, as well as Superheroes, the history of a pop culture phenomenon from Ant-Man to Zorro. You can get them wherever books are sold. If you would like an autographed copy, reach out to me at brianrsolomon at yahoo.com and we will see what we can do. The magazines that I write for, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, as I mentioned at the top of the show, pwi-online.com is where you can go to get it. And Inside the Ropes Magazine, you can get it insidetheropesmagazine.com. If you're looking for me on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Brian R. Solomon. My Facebook author page is Brian Solomon Writer. And on any of those social media platforms, you will find the link to my author website on the World Wide Web. Shut Up and Wrestle is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. And as always, this has been... Brian R. Solomon, asking you to keep those cards and letters coming in and reminding you that when you come to a fork in the road, pick it up. So long, wrestling fans. <laughs>